On two occasions each year, Mother Church gives us the Transfiguration as our gospel. The liturgical feast of the Transfiguration is August the 6th. And so we can dive into the great theological truths and the revelation that's presented to us. Today, on this second Sunday of Lent, each year we also have this passage, this mystery of the transfiguration. And I think it's helpful to understand that just before this passage, for the first time, Jesus revealed to his closest friends his fate in Jerusalem, that he was going to Jerusalem, and that he would be scourged, crucified, the immense suffering, and then he would die. But on the third day, he would be raised. And so the scripture scholars tell us that this episode happened, that Jesus allowed his divinity to be shown to them to not let them be discouraged about the reality of the crucible of the cross. They would not be distracted by what was going to happen in Jerusalem, but that they would have their eyes and their heart fixed on what was to come, on their final destination, on the goal, so that they could accompany Jesus through Jerusalem, not just to Jerusalem. And so perhaps this is why Mother Church allows us this opportunity to meditate on this great mystery. As we've begun this great season of Lent, we're challenging ourselves to live in such a radical way that we've been depriving ourselves of the goods of this world through our fasting. We've been sacrificing our time immensely as we've been committing ourselves to daily intentional prayer. And we've been sacrificing our money as we've been giving alms to those who are needy. It can become tiring. It can become discouraging when we force ourselves to give up so many things. And so perhaps we too, like those early apostles, need this break to remind ourselves why we are doing these hard things of the Lenten practices. Or maybe just once again this year we gave up chocolate and it hasn't been that hard. Or I even forgot what I was going to do or I didn't even plan to do anything anyway. So I don't really need the glory of God revealed to me to encourage me to go through. Mother Church really challenges us to hear well the call to repentance that we had last week. It's the constant call of the disciple to continually be repenting. If we go to the original Greek of the words we had last week, repent and believe in the gospel, it's an active present verb. Be repenting. Be believing. The Mother Church gives us these days of Lent to really focus to really help us come face to face with the reality of our dependency on this world, our attachment to the things of this world, and our inflated love of self. We love ourselves. We love our ego. We love our identity. Everything we do is to make my life better. 
make my life comfortable and convenient. I'm trying to live my best life now. I want to become the best version of myself. All these self-help things that get thrown into the church that distort the reality of the journey that we're all called to. If we recall a few weeks back, we heard from St. Paul in the second reading who he said about himself that, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. And we were reminded that each of us has that challenge, that invitation to be proclaimers of the gospel. It's the gospel that we were commanded last week to repent and to believe in. To believe in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. But as we always say, if there's no bad news, we don't need good news. And so we need to know what is the bad news. But what is the good news? It's good to be reminded. But what is the gospel message that we're being called to believe? To turn away from this world and its attachments and to attach ourselves to Jesus and his gospel. That gospel is that God loves you. That the only reason that you are here today, the only reason you exist is because God wants you to. That he created you to be in a relationship with him, a deep, intimate, personal relationship. The scriptures identify it as a marriage relationship. As intimate as a husband and wife, this is what the Lord expects from each one of us. And that was the plan from the beginning. But we know what happened when Adam and Eve ate that apple. That sin entered the world and that communion was corrupted. And that the likeness of God in the human person started to fade. And sin began to reign and to rule. But God promised a savior. And after all those years from the Garden of Eden to that birth in, in Bethlehem, Jesus came. Jesus came to set us free, to show us the way to live. And with his death and resurrection, opened the gates of heaven. And then the church he founded was now entrusted to be the dispenser of God's grace. The grace that Adam and Eve lost in the garden. The grace that we need in order to truly be alive. The grace that we need in order to see God. That's what happened with Peter, James, and John in the gospel. They saw God in his fullness. And what was Peter's response? Lord, it's good that we are here. Can I build you a tent? Can we stay here? Can we abide right here? Lord, it's good that we are here. Is that your experience with God? And when you, have you come face to face with the living God? Has your heart risen up and said, it's good that I am here and I want to stay here forever? Chances are not. It might be good that I'm with the Lord, but I don't want to stay there. I've got things to do. I've got a to-do list. I've got kids at home. I've got a grocery list. I've got a business to run. I've got things to do. Okay, let's get on with it. We're not fully converted. And so the message we heard last week is we need to hear it again and again. Repent. Turn away from anything and everything that's not God and live for him alone. We're all on this journey. That God created you to be with him. 
And through your baptism, he planted seeds of faith, hope, and love. So that through your life of grace and virtue, you would grow into full stature, as St. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. That we would grow into the full stature of Jesus Christ. And so this, this journey and the spiritual writers for the last 2,000 years have described this journey as the three stages of the interior life. And there's many different variations and different saints had different takes on it. Teresa of Avila wrote about the interior castle. John of the Cross wrote about the, mount, the ascent of Mount Carmel. There's different ways of understanding this journey. But basically, there are three stages. And they're not levels like you level up one to the other, you graduate one. They're stages, and they're fluid. And sometimes there's movement back and forth. The first stage is purgative. The second stage is illuminative. The third stage is the unitive. That first stage is once I come to know about God, I know about Jesus and his church, I know about sin and good and evil. I have my initial conversion. And I realize that there's something inside of me that's made for more than this world could ever satisfy. And I don't want to any longer pursue the passing pleasures of this world. I want to give my life to Jesus. This purgation of dying to self. But it's hard. And there's a lot of starts and a lot of stops. Again, how many of us have already failed in our Lenten practices? How many of us have forgot what our Lenten practices are? How many of us have made a promise to pray every day and we make it once? How many of us have tried to stop going to the dark side of the internet, but we go to confession again and again? How many of us have promised never to gossip again, but we do it? But we realize that there's something more for us and that we need God. And so that we practice the virtues. That we strive to avoid the near occasion of sin. Those people, places, and things that make sin easy in my life. That prayer we pray at the end of confession. I take it seriously that I'm no longer going to hang out with those people. I'm not going to go to those places. I'm not going to get on my phone late at night. I'm not going to do the things that make my life not like God. And I began to have some type of regular prayer life, which usually consists of vocal prayer. Hail Mary's, Our Father's, reading the scriptures. As we learn to know the vocabulary of God and the language of the church to help us understand who and how God is. I might understand God has a will for my life, but I'm not completely motivated to follow it. Because in these initial stages, I'm still enslaved to my senses. I'm motivated by what feels good. And so I want that Big Mac. I want that Oreo cookie. I want to listen to that music. It's no big deal. I'll change tomorrow. My senses still have a hold over me. But I move. I'm journeying with Jesus through this. And eventually I get to the point where I can say no to my body. But yes, I'm hungry right now, but I'm not going to eat. Yes, I want that drink. Yes, I want to go hang out with that person, but I'm not going to do it. I'm learning self-mastery by God's grace. And then I, I graduate. I move into that second stage of the illuminative, the light bulb. 
Some of us remember the cartoons where the light bulb would go off, when the idea came, or when you fully understood something. This is what happens when God infuses those graces we receive at confirmation of wisdom and understanding and knowledge. I begin to see the, the world the way that God sees it. And then I can see that God has a plan, not just for my life, but everything. And then I can begin to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. And I can stop loving things and using people. And I can start using things so that I can love God and love people. There's a difference. There's a radical change in my life. And I begin to desire to follow God's will for my life. I begin to willingly embrace the sufferings that come my way. Because without this, I, I want to avoid any pain, any discomfort, any inconvenience. But as I begin to follow Jesus, as I begin to think with his mind, and I contemplate the cross and the love of God displayed, I can see that there's redemption in suffering. That my little minor inconveniences and my grave crosses that I carry every day, that I can unite them to the cross. And then somehow in God's calculus, they become redemptive. And not just for me, but for us, the church. And I'm no longer motivated by what's pleasurable for me, what's convenient for me, but I see myself as a member of the church, the body of Christ, the body of believers. And I start to live for us and not just for me. Mortal sin might come in every now and then, but it's not habitual. And I'm pained by the fact that I have offended God. Not so much I'm afraid of hell, but I don't want to offend God. These are the movements of the heart in that second stage. And then the third stage which many of the saints have achieved, but most of us don't. We may get a glimpse of it, but it's complete and perfect union with God. This is what St. Peter experienced in that great beatific vision on the mountaintop. He saw God as he is. As Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. In our opening prayer this evening, Father said that, that with our spiritual senses made pure, may we rejoice in seeing God. That's the goal. That's what you were made for. The happiness that you seek is found only in Jesus Christ. But we have to go through these stages in order to get there, to break free from the chains of slavery to self and the attachments to this world. In Luke's gospel, he tells us that, that Jesus and Elijah and Moses were speaking of the exodus. The first exodus is when the Israelites were set free from slavery in Egypt. Our exodus is by God's grace we're set free from the slavery to sin and the domination of self. That we can live in communion, live in full and total grace that God created us for. Or the human person has these levels. We're infants, and then we're teenagers, and then we're adults. The world wants us to stay as four-year-olds, throwing temper tantrums and just grabbing the next best thing. 
God wants us to graduate, wants us to move through these stages. Those of you who are married, you've had similar experiences. It's a wonderful analogy, not perfect. But you begin to relate well with your spouse on a new level. You share thoughts. You share visions. You begin to be one. And then eventually you get to the point where you just want to be with your spouse. For no benefit to yourself, you just know that it's good to be together. Deep and lasting friendships can experience this as well. But spouses have that special bond. That's a foretaste of what's waiting for us in heaven. But in reality, we don't have to wait for heaven. Because God promises us this truth now. If we do the hard work, if we embrace the crosses and die to self, if we admit that we are enslaved and that we need help, and we surrender to God and his will for our life, we can enjoy this union now. Every time we come to Mass, we get a taste. We start Mass with the confidior, where we're acknowledging our sin and asking for help. And then we hear the readings in a homily and we're illuminated. Our minds are opened to how God is, which sets the stage as we hear the words of consecration, as we have our hearts, our mind opened to the reality of Jesus here on this mountaintop. We won't see his divine glory, but we can see his Eucharistic reality. That vision for Peter was enough. Is Jesus enough for you? Are you still waiting for something more? Lent is a beautiful time. It's a difficult time. It's a challenging time. Or it should be. But it's worth it. Mother Church is encouraging us today to not be discouraged. To not give up. To persevere to accompany Jesus on this journey to and through Jerusalem because he knows and we know that glory is waiting for us. If we can get to that point, if we can be there now with St. Peter, we can say, Lord, it's good that we are here and I want to stay forever. Amen.